Hi, my name is Adam, and I've never seen Chinatown. Hi everyone, welcome back to Fine, I'll Watch It. As you heard up top, we are joined by Adam. I'm seated here with Johnny. My name is Bridget, and this is the podcast where we show somebody, anybody, a film that they haven't seen that we think, for whatever reason, they should. Adam, welcome. Hello. So this week we are covering 1974's Chinatown, directed by Roman Polanski. Oh. Oh, some news oh, <laughs> there. I've yes. heard of that guy. You've He's... heard of that man. He sucks. He does. <laughs> he sucks really hard. Like Not as a person. Have... I don't know as him a as a person. filmmaker. I don't know him as a person either, but I've heard tales. <laughs> He's um, awful. Uh, we may cover it. Um, but Adam, how are you? I'm good. I'm excited. This is the second movie we've done in Noir November, so yeah. um. Or third. 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 Yeah, sorry. I've only edited third. one so far. <laughs> so it's just the one in my head. Uh, yes, yeah, so the third episode of Noir November. We're getting a little closer to the, the modern era, but I'm excited. The, the first week wasn't necessarily as noirish as I would have liked, and Double Indemnity last week was very noirish and ticked a lot of boxes, so I'm excited for, for more of, of the good times to, to keep going. Yes. So we are... Jumping a little bit out of what is sort of the traditional noir zone mm-hmm. into more of a neo-noir. So this movie comes out in 1974. But, Adam, what do you know about this movie? So going, if if we're talking more than one hour ago, I knew nothing. Okay. Uh, so, but in looking up to try to see like where we could watch the movie. Uh, all of the posters have Jack Nicholson's face on it, so I couldn't help but know that he is in this movie. I like Jack Nicholson. I think he's he's good in a variety of things, from your Batman Jokers to your Departeds. You know, I've seen a lot of things of his. Uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest is really good. I'm not so much in with his older 70s era stuff. Mm-hmm. Mostly more familiar with things he's made in the 80s and now. And even then, I don't think I've seen a ton of his filmography same can be said i don't think for roman plansky which i just learned is the director of this movie um so that even learning that has no basis because i i don't know what else if anything of his i've seen did you ever watch the uh pianist nope the macbeth adaptation he did tess no No, i don't think okay yeah that's as um like anything else would probably be too deep a cut yeah i i think the first introduction I would have had to him would be jokes about how terrible a person he is, you know, like in popular culture. So I, I will be able to, I think, remove the real lifeness from this, hopefully, yeah. even though, even that, like, I'm not even too familiar yeah. with. So. Oh, Rosemary's Baby? Nope. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. So I don't have that like, oh man, what a great filmmaker he was. It sucks that he's a terrible person because like, I honestly don't even know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know too much of it. I assume it either takes place in a Chinatown in some city or maybe, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? But I, it's literally nothing comes to mind with this other than it's a noir. I don't know if this will be too spoilerish. Does it take place in the noir period of the like late 40s, early 50s? Or is this 
set in 1974. It is not set in 1974. Okay. I'll give that. Okay. Is there anything you're hoping to get out of this? I mean, like I've been talking, yeah, like I've been talking about all month, my favorite aspects of the noir genre, the little that I knew of it, is the campier side of things, your voices, your, you know, your affectations, strange vocabulary that isn't thrown around nowadays. We got a lot of that last week, which I was happy with, though I don't think we got so much the voices. It was more just like the vernacular of the 40s that we got that I was a big fan of. But yeah, I'm just kind of hoping for kind of taking the things that we saw in Double Indemnity last week, which came to be known as the staples of noir. Like, I believe that was one that we talked about as being like the first film noir, really. Um, so a lot of the things that worked well in that, I hope to see here, you know, good use of lighting in the dark, dark areas and shadows. This is in color, right? This isn't like a throwback black yes. and white. Yeah. Um, okay. So, you know, hopefully they can try to take some of those motifs and update it for whatever filmmaking techniques they had of the time, much in the way that, and I know I referenced it before, but like LA Confidential feels like a film noir despite being made in 1990-whatever. So I'm hoping to see some of those tropes and some of those things that I enjoyed about Double Indemnity kind of here as well, but in a different sort of spin so it all doesn't feel formulaic, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that's really kind of all I'm, I'm hoping for. And ultimately, just like a good movie, a good, a good murder case or detective case or something, I feel like this one probably gives, I don't know, maybe it's just the way the poster had, you know, Jack Nicholson with his fedora and everything gives me a detective vibe, which we haven't really gotten the detective part of things quite yet. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to uh, to seeing if that can be a part of this, because I feel like that's one of the major checkboxes we haven't really gotten to yet, because Third Man was just a guy solving a mystery about his friend, and Double Indemnity was about insurance fraud. Like, it, there hasn't really been a detective case quite yet and i'm hoping that maybe we get that today could be now johnny you have seen this movie what is your history with it uh i i saw this when i was a teenager i think so i wasn't quite there on that wavelength of like being wanting to sit down and watch something like that i think i think i watched it all the way through i remember the storyline kind of i'm not going to touch on it for spoiler's sake I remember thinking that it was kind of cool and everything, but I just didn't, maybe just because I wasn't following the storyline very much, that it was, it, I don't think it was convoluted, it was probably convoluted for a teenager, or at least where my head was at in those days, but mm -hmm. yeah, I, 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 get, I think very much I'm going to be seeing with like new eyes, pretty much. I know, awesome. again, big, I'm a big fan of Jack Nicholson, uh, I think he's a national treasure. Uh, I, I love, everything that he's in is just great, he's such a scene chewer. I even like some of the stuff like As Good As It Gets and another one that he did with like, I forget what's her name, not Diane Lane, but one of those. Diane Keaton. Diane Keaton, excuse me. Because it was another one after that. Something's Gotta Give. Something's Gotta Give. And it, and it gave. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 he's, he's a great, he, he always seems to be not so much in a lead role for the things that I've seen. He's always seems to be the second man or like third man in a, in a storyline and very much sometimes like the villain as we've seen, you know, with the departed and Joker haven't seen a lot of Roman Polanski stuff. We were talking about Rosemary's baby being an option for Halloween never came to fruition. I have seen, so I've seen Chinatown. I've seen, you said the pianist, which I've yeah. seen, I've seen 
Now, you just had to look up quickly. I've seen the ninth gate. <laughs> Which I just remember, like, a demon writing Johnny Depp at the end, and that's it about the movie. Never seen it. That's... That's... But... It's the best part. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to see a color neo-noir, because uh, we've been seeing these black and whites, filmed, very squarish, 4-3, however you'd want to put it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't remember who else is in it beyond him, but, yeah, I think we are back in L.A., I'm not sure. I did look it up like a week before and because I was just kind of listening to movie scores and the same guy who scored this scored LA Confidential. So if okay. you really like the music in LA Confidential, I think Jerry Goldsmith is the, the composer here. So you're going to get all your solo trombones and so no trumpets. This week. We're not no returning yeah, yeah. To, to a time before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got it. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I don't know. What about you, Bridget? I I have complicated feelings about Roman Polanski as a person, but I think that this movie is a masterpiece. I think this is just... I really love this movie. This is a movie I've seen a bunch. Like, if it shows up on Netflix or, or whatever streaming service that I happen to be cruising, I'll, I'll throw it on pretty frequently. I don't always finish it, but... I, I really enjoy this movie. Will you typically, like, if it's, you know, an hour in or whatever, throw it on and watch till the end? Or is this one where, like, you have to start it and if you don't finish it, oh well, but at least, like, you don't want to come in halfway through? You don't want to come in halfway through. Okay. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot of great tension building and the unfurling of the plot is really good. There's great performances. You know, it's a really interesting setting. Jack Nicholson's at his best. There's some other players here who are really doing good work. And it just, there's no, and maybe I'll eat my words a little bit after this viewing, but I can't think of sort of a flaw in the movie. Wow. If that makes sense. Um, or something that I would change or be like, oh, I wish this was done a little Yeah, I'm sure Yeah, I'm sure there'll be ni- minor nitpicks, mm-hmm. but okay. Interesting. I don't think we've had that kind of strong reaction going into anything yet where someone's like, yeah, I wouldn't change a single beat of it. Even like remembering times they've seen it, we might come away with that at the end. Be like, no, everything was is as it should be. It doesn't all work, but I wouldn't change a moment of it for anything. So it's interesting to hear that you have that strong feeling going into it. Mm-hmm. I would say like it has, there's things about this movie that are kind of like, you know, you know, it's been parodied frequently. I think, Adam, you'll be like, oh, The Simpsons did that. The Simpsons, mm, like, this okay. is going to be that kind of movie. But in some ways, it's become so iconic because it is done so perfectly. It's, like, ripe for for parody in some ways. Okay. Interesting. Because there's nothing, nothing actually wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, So you have to take it to that extreme. extreme. And it works to, and it's make so it, good. Yeah. yeah. You don't just point at it and laugh. You have to actually think about it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do you guys have strong feelings about movies from the 70s in general? How do you feel about it as a decade in film? It's a or weird... Or don't feel about it even? Uh, it's a weird one. I feel like it's it's polluted with a lot of like cop dramas and stuff like that going on. Yeah, like Comedies. and... Yeah. I don't know if 40 hours was in the 80s or the 70s, but for us, that's coming to mind. But 
you know, like the, you know, you got like Cleese would jumping out of like the spurs into like the, you know, true his, his beater shoes running around LA or New York shooting people with a long gun, um, a long pistol. But yeah, I, I, I like it cause it's, it's, it's a little grimy. It's still, I like that it's, it's still solely a decade that's because we have nowhere near digital quite yet, but that people are playing with the format a little bit with film. But, yeah, I don't have uh, an opinion one way or the other about it. Adam? Yeah, I don't – I'd honestly probably have to look at a list of, like, the best movies of the 70s to be like, oh, most of these are crap. I don't actually like any of them. Or yeah. I haven't seen any of them, so I don't know. So we can do that now if you want to. But, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to Johnny's point, it is – the 70s, to me, is it's two things. It's disco and it's all of the serial killers running amok all over everything. <laughs> So it's like, to me, it's either Studio 54 and Dancing the Night Away or it's Son of Sam. Like, there's no in between. Like, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't know. But I, you know, that does bleed over into film because that's what would have been popular. And you take what's popular in the world and you write stories about it and make, you take the fantastical elements of it and crank it up to 11, so to speak. So I, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look. I just, I don't know. There's something about you know, movies from, like, 70 to, like, 77, right before you get the Jaws and Star Wars, you know, like, the blockbuster effect, there's this little time period where you're out of, like, the studio system is not as powerful. The Hayes Code is not as influential. So you get these really dark, much grittier stories, much more experimental. Yeah, they're not sticking to formula a lot anymore. Again, the studios are given, like, I think the creators a little more free reign on things, like you're saying. So it's just in this weird sort of pocket. And in some ways, as you move into the 80s, you lose some of that, like, yeah. progression a little bit. So looking at the IMDb list of the top 10 70s movies... I now I'm revising my thing and saying it's the best decade ever of all time. No decades ever touched it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we've got here, you, this is just your top 10. And just to point that out, Jaws and Clockwork Orange are outside of the top 10. Everything else here, with the exception, I think, of the movie we're about to watch tonight, I've actually seen. And like, so The Exorcist, I think I saw maybe once, if that, and I maybe it, on Halloween. It, it might just be a thing where I know every beat of it because it's in everything ever since. But we, then Taxi Driver, which is great. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chinatown, which we're watching tonight. Rocky, which is great. Network, which is great. Alien, which we've watched recently on this show, or not recently, but previously yeah. Yeah. on this show. Uh, great. Star Wars, great. Apocalypse Now, great. And Godfather 1 and 2. Yeah. yeah. Not in that order. 2 is 2 and 1 is 1. So, yeah, best decade ever, actually. I really yeah, like the 70s. It's, it's really good, yeah. And I feel like an idiot for not bringing up more of those titles. But, yeah, I mean, again, the Star Wars stuff, Jaws, I mean, even Halloween. You have a lot of good mm-hmm. horror movies that are starting to come out. First Superman's in the 70s, you know, first yeah. real, like, superhero movie. Oh, I really movie. need to watch the first one again. Every now and again, when I think of the first Superman, I'm like, I need to watch that now. I've never seen it. Nope. There Ooh. we go. Uh, uh. There we go. And I just love, I just Adam love the John Williams score from that. Like, oh, it's uh, so good, it's so it's, iconic. It's, it's so iconic. Yeah. So you go, we'll add that to the list. But uh, yeah, the seventies rocked. <laughs> yeah. The seventies rocked. Yeah. Yeah. It also discoed. It also discoed. Yeah. Yeah. Disco, yeah, which disco does not suck. 
Disco is great in its own yeah. way. Disco's dead, Bridget. You gotta let it lie. Dude, yeah. <laughs> no, no, people are taking drugs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why you get a lot of these movies. That, too. Just a... When it's like kids who grew up in the 50s now getting their chance to make movies and kind of breaking out of that leave it to beaver mold and being like, you know what? Everything I saw going up was white bread, cookie cutter nonsense. And now I get to make whatever I want. It's going to be a little bonkers. It's going to be a little off the wall. It's going to be aliens attacking in space. It's, you know, it's going to be space operas and it's going to be mafia pictures and all kinds right. of different things that we're not used to because we grew up on leave it to beaver so and you kind of see that throughout every decade as you look at when the filmmakers grew up and you're like oh they're either going along the lines of what they saw when they grew up because that's what made them love film thinking like people who grew up in the 80s like your jj abrams and stuff who now make your super aids or it's i'm gonna rebel against everything i saw because i hated popular culture as a kid because it wasn't my sensibilities and here's my wonky drug addled take on the Vietnam War, you know? Like, yeah. There's so. another thing, too, is it got violent. Mm-hmm. The clothes violent. came off. <laughs> Boobalicious. Boobalicious. <laughs> what do they call boobs in Hocus Pocus? Yabos. Yabos. Yabolicious. Yabolicious. Yabos everywhere. Yabo dabba do. <laughs> yeah. I, so you see a lot more grime and yeah. dirt mm-hmm. and uh, risque stuff on the screen, which is. And, and and realism, you know, you have um, a lot more cursing or whatever, but yeah, and like uh, filmmakers like Terrence Malick, you know, like yeah, Days, Days of, of Heaven, Heaven yeah. just I love the seventies. Mm. This was my short promotional. Yeah, how do we feel about the seventies? Great, seventies <laughs> are great. This is not getting me excited because I've been, I, I sidebar I've been trying to watch more westerns now and now I'm thinking about the seventies it's like nothing to do with it for the most part. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because you guys haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have, I have. not seen it. Yet. Okay, so again, this is very much in tune with that where they're kind of one era is dying and another yeah. one is sort of coming, but another Polanski, another connection. Polanski mm. connection, right? Yeah. yeah, big one. This is we'll, we'll cover it. Yeah. In the in the second part. Um well I guess is there anything else we need to cover? Anything else you want to share before we hop in the time machine? Go back to the greatest decade ever. Where they Slash, made a movie about really. a thing that didn't take place <laughs> in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's gonna be funny that we just made, like gushed about seventies <laughs> in the movies like, that I'm came all out. All the but... way back to nineteen thirty eight. Yeah. yeah, then we're gonna keep going farther back. So we're just gonna make a pit stop. Piece, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then keep going. So yeah, no, I'm 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 good. I'm ready to I'm ready to get to it. I'm ready to be new art. Right on. What do you have to say for yourself? Fine. I'll watch it.
we are back. We have just finished 1974's Chinatown. Adam, how do you feel? Uh, okay. It, it was good. I liked it. It In the immediate aftermath, I feel a little let down by the ending. But It I, is a bummer. <laughs> it's a super bummer, and it's also not a conclusion. Like, there are still several threads that I want resolutions to that... Dude, we forget just, it. I know. Forget it, Adam. We just get a slow... It's Chinatown. We just get a slow <laughs> walk away, and I it's Chinatown, and I mean, I don't know the rules. I didn't used to work there. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not it was not my old beat, but it was good. I liked it. I was along for the roller coaster and the ups and downs and the twists and turns, and I was a little towards the later third, and this is not a fault of the movie, it's mm-hmm. just a fault of the way in which we watched the movie, in that... I was a little bummed that it turns out we were watching another movie where the woman who was with the guy turns out she wasn't on the up and up and she was involved but not involved because they were going pretty hard towards her being the culprit. Mm -hmm. And after watching Double Indemnity last week with the turn of like, oh no, it was the woman the whole time. I was like, oh no, are we going to get this again? So I was like kind of being brought down a little bit from that. Again, not a fault of the movie, but... Overall, I thought it was good. I thought all the performances were great. It didn't hit all of the right beats that I wanted in terms of what I was looking for noirishly, mm-hmm. which is not a word, uh, and I just made that up. Uh, but <laughs> but overall, I liked it. All right. Johnny, you had said this would be a fairly fresh movie for you. How yeah. are you feeling second go-round? A lot of it came back to me. The nose came back to me for Ooh. sure. Oh, I loved watching that with both of you because I knew you knew it was coming because yeah. I saw you physically tense up and Adam, you had no idea what was coming and you physically went, ah. Well, I, yes. <laughs> I thought it was a threat. I didn't think he'd follow through. <laughs> yes, yeah, because I forgot how he got his nose injury. I know he gets one fairly early on in the movie, again, before watching this, mm-hmm. but that he's, and he's pretty much bandaged up for most of the movie. Yeah. So when that started coming up, I'm like, oh, I this, this this is where the nose gets fucked up, gets fucked up, and they do it really well. They do. It do looks it so well. fucking real. Yeah, the the like the blood splatters, perfect. just all of it. It's it, such a swift move that it's not like normally when there's a threat, it's almost like that. You know, oh, two guys are gonna fight, and one guy goes, all right, turns, and then sucker punch it. You know, like that move of like, all right, I'm not gonna do it. Bam, I got gotcha. you. There was no, all right, I'm not gonna do it. It was just. Yeah, they get their little nose cut. And he's like, all right, man. And then he's like, nope, just ha ha, slice your face. <laughs> yeah, it was just shot really well. And just the blood squid, whatever they used was great. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, enj- what, like, uh, what Adam said, I enjoyed a lot of elements of this. You do kind of like hope for other things. You know what I mean? It's, it's very much in the daytime. You don't get those shadows. You don't get sort of like the. The narration, you don't get some of the, you know, the the snarky. I mean, you get some of the snarkiness for mm-hmm. sure, but not in a very pulpy way that I think that mm-hmm. the other ones uh, presented it. It takes the the story is complicated, at least for my for me trying to follow it a little bit, just because I I think just inherently like the water scandal isn't at least to me very like enthralling. Mm-hmm. It takes a little bit of the other shit going on. Like, once it gets to, like, the, the mangroves, it, like, things sort of, like, pick up a little bit for me, and it gets a little interesting, and it gets a little more violent, and it, it just gets a little more interesting for me than just, like, some 
the politics of, you know, water being mm. dropped or not. You didn't like the sheep in the town hall meeting? No, oh, well, I mean, that's great stuff. <laughs> that was fantastic. Yeah. And the shepherd had a serious staff. Oh, with what? the ram's horn yeah. on the end of it? Sick. Do you think he blows that to get them to come in? Like, that's his, you know, like a right on the end of the staff? Yeah, yeah. It's got to yeah. be how it works. Right. He's a throat singer. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I, it's it's it is a gr- it's a great movie. It's it's really good, and uh, yeah, and we'll talk more about what I had my thoughts on the ending, and also for a movie called Chinatown. Oh no! Five minutes we spent of China. There. Yeah, I mean, I, as we were going through, I was like, oh, okay, I wonder if the story of whatever happened to him in Chinatown is going to come to light, and that's going to have some big revelation or revelatory moment. So that was another reason why I was like, oh, it's just the end of the movie. And that's why we called it Chinatown. Like, it really, the name has nothing to do with it. But they kept setting it up of being like, you remember Chinatown, right? He's like, oh, I remember Chinatown. I tried to protect a woman. It didn't go my way. And I'm like, oh, this is going to come back. Oh, no, it's just uh, it's just where the ending takes place. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, I think you pretty much answered it, too. Like, he tried to protect a woman, or unless you... I well, that's what he said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It happened before. Right, right. And I was like, okay, so is that going to... So happen just, again, It yeah. just happened again. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Sucks for you, dude. Right, right. So I think part of it that could be this was intended to be more serialized. Uh, the screenwriter, his name is Robert Town, initially pictured three movies set at different time periods in mm-hmm. L.A. So you would follow Jake through these different series, exploring, I think, at one point he's going to be exploring, like, oil and then the development of freeways as well but the sequel to this there is a sequel to there China is a sequel Town. yeah the not, two jakes the two jakes not directed by roman polanski mm. um directed by jack nicholson i believe yes yes and i was just looking this up when we were waiting in between yeah development hell apparently yep not well received so that third just kind of yeah, and it takes Five place like eleven years later, so it does speak to the nature of wanting to do it as a serialized thing, which like I probably would have liked. I mean, I I don't know that the movie is any good, but like the idea of following this private detective through the decades kind of is a cool, neat little yeah. I mean, idea. he's an interesting enough character. To yeah, totally do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I could see why you'd want to do that. It's you know, it's a nice story, and the the noir genre leads to you know, lends itself to that pulpy kind of serialized, you could easily make a trilogy of movies about a detective who has to find out, you know, whodunits through various means. It's a little weird that you want to tie it all to municipalities, but I mean, whatever, it's your story, I guess. <laughs> right. It's like, this time he's dealing with the water company. This time he's dealing with the oil company. Next, we're going to go into cable boxes. Yeah. What's the scam there? <laughs> Dude, nobody cares. <laughs> Right to UHF. Yeah. Yeah. Wait to hear about what Channel 8's doing to the yeah. local uh, UHF station. It'll blow your mind. Listen, when I saw that schedule with all with all the activities, I immediately <laughs> thought of the schedule at UHF. Because <laughs> I, I could see Backyard Bowling or whatever it was being like a UHF show. Yeah, it's a, it's a, pro, it's yeah. a pro tour event. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, would have liked, I, I wouldn't have minded to see. Obviously, it didn't pan out in the sequel being any good, but cool idea at least yeah it's my understanding that the ending was initially going to be a sort of much more traditional we're going to tie up some loose ends and Mm -hmm. have instead of just like a narratively where you hit a brick wall at 60 miles per hour 
you know... An orange tree, really. An orange tree, yeah. <laughs> it was envisioned that Evelyn, instead of dying, would kill her father and then be sent to prison, and the final scene would be her and Jake talking as she was, like, being sentenced to prison for life. So a bit more of some clean closure. Yeah. And Roman Polanski, this was his first project after the murder of his wife, Sharon Tate, and several others at his home while mm-hmm. he was away, wanted a distinctly more bleak ending. And so the last five minutes in Chinatown, essentially, he he and the writer had a kind of falling out about it, and he said, fuck it, this is just what we're doing. This is the end of the movie now. Yeah, I mean, I don't na- I don't hate it because it's bleak. Mm-hmm. I actually think that kind of works as like a there are no winners kind of scenario. But that only works... If Cross dies too, and he doesn't, he no. gets shot in the chest, but is surprisingly spry for a 90-year-old man. Or like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who got shot in the chest, so which was a little weird. His whole, and his whole pretend act that his daughter died was awful. I don't know if it was meant to be sincere, but he's like, oh no, I have my daughter, and she's kidnapped. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is... John Huston is so good in this movie, but it's frightening. Like, that, in some ways, is the more bleak element than the... Oh, that's the most bleak element. That's the most bleak element. Yeah. Like, not just even the fact that Evelyn dies. And it's a little... And I think it's a little ambiguous, and I want to get your take as someone who's seen this a bunch of times. Escobar is a lieutenant. He made lieutenant after whatever happened in Chinatown, and he doesn't want to get muddied down with whatever the hell is going on. But it almost seems like he's on the take because Evelyn screams he owns the cops, which, okay, Mm -hmm. that's fair. I mean, this is a rich dude in the rough and tumble 30s, you know, L.A. West kind of situation. But there's no actual implication that he is on the take, more so that he just is like, crap, I just killed the woman. I I don't want to deal with this paperwork. I don't want to deal with anything. It's just get everybody out of my face. Get all the bystanders out of my face. I just, uh, I really wish I didn't have to deal with this. Like, how do you feel about it? Do you think that he's on the take here? Like, is he a dirty cop and that's why he's letting this all get away? Because otherwise, why the hell would you let some random old man grab a girl by the face and just whisk her off after a woman shot him to protect that girl? Um, I don't think that he's necessarily on the take. Because you get elements of, you know, he's actually working Hollis's murder. Mm-hmm. In spite of the fact that everyone wants to say, oh, it was an accident, you know, he's sticking with it. He just does not have all the pieces to put it together. Yeah. And I think Cross is able to come in because it's such a madhouse, Mm -hmm. everything that happens, you know, that he can just kind of quietly, like, take her and slip back into it. And, you know, I think part of what this movie posits is that powerful men can get away with things Mm. not because there's a conspiracy like and like multiple hands like a cabal of people making this happen but because we are more likely to turn a blind eye when a powerful man does something we're more likely to or just ignore it and be like Mm. well anyways i gotta deal with this mess i gotta get these these chinese people off the street in chinatown i gotta like you know what i mean you're not looking in that at that he's taking direction. control of what he can take control of, yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, he's looking like below the line. He's not yeah. looking above the line. Mm-hmm. 
I just thought it was weird that he let a gunshot victim walk away <laughs> without being like, hey, man. Well, he's not a doctor, Adam. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know that part. But I, you'd think he'd at least be like, all right, well, that lady just shot you, so I need to, I need to talk to you yeah. now. Uh, but again, you have, you have Cross saying, Evelyn, you're an unwell woman. You're unstable. This is a woman that he believes is already a murderer. That, like, you know what I mean? He's letting... All of this picture is already painted of her as this hysterical person. Yeah. Like, well, True. at least he's okay. Thank God Catherine's in safe hands now. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's disturbing, but I think that's, like, yeah. my interpretation of... Okay. Yeah, it was just... It, it struck me as being like, that guy just grabbed her, like, essentially by the mouth. And was like, don't... <laughs> Don't say anything. Just come with me. Yeah, yeah. You cover her eyes. Yeah, yeah. Eyes and mouth. Just yeah, just because he's got these big mitts that he the whole like. Yeah, because he already saw the hole through that woman's face. Yeah, <laughs> the damage is oh, done. Oh no! And she. So I, we assume Catherine just thinks that. Uh, what's her name? Evelyn. Mm-hmm. Is her sister? Is her sister? That's what she knows, as far as we know. Because she even says like she'll never know. That you're her dad. Mm-hmm. So at least we know that much of it. Which did not see that twist coming at all. I yeah, You like audibly gasped. Well, because it's weird. It's one of those things where, okay, when she says she's my sister, I'm like, oh, okay, there's a connection there. That makes sense. And then my brain, I was like, well, why don't she speak in Spanish in the one line she has in the movie? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a little strange. I still don't buy it 100%. You know, because you, you do the thing of you're piecing it together in your own mind as you're watching it. Right. Um, I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. She's speaking Spanish. That's weird. But okay, whatever. I mean, stranger things have happened. They live in Los Angeles. Like, it's a Spanish-named city. They're going <laughs> to... They might they might have picked up a few phrases, you know? Sure. Um, and then when she's like, no, she's my daughter. I'm like, okay, that makes a bit more sense. Like, that actually kind of tracks a little bit. She's this hidden daughter or whatever from who knows what. And then the slapping of she's my daughter. She's my sister. She's my daughter. She's my daughter and my sister. I was like, Oh Jesus, this is, this This is another level of conspiracy that was just so heartbreakingly sad. Yeah. I think watching it over and over now, like I can remember watching it for the first time and you do, you think she is a Barbara Stanwyck type of, you know, like, is she actually going to double cross? What mm-hmm. are her motives? She's secretly evil. No, she's not. But I think the film becomes richer knowing it and watching it and seeing Faye Dunaway's performance of, you can see her have these tells of like, when you know what the secret is, you're like, ooh, it's so skin crawly mm. in a way. Yeah, because, I mean, the whole movie, she doesn't want to let on any information. Mm-hmm. She's basically doing a slow trickle Mm-hmm. to to Jake to just give him whatever he needs in that moment which is why you don't trust her which is why it's easy for the film to kind of paint that maybe she is going to double cross him and part of that is knowing the noir genre and knowing this fits into it there's double crosses aplenty and there's femme fatales and there's you know all these different things so you like know to expect it but she's also hiding huge monumental secrets that do come out in the end which is the the big twist but it makes it easy for you to believe that she's nefarious when really she's just trying to not over-explain this really convoluted situation. <laughs> I like how uh, crafty Jake is. With mm. He does a few cool things. You know, the the pocket watch. What a good trick. Yeah. I mean, because you got to think, how do you 
know how long someone's away in the 19th. Like, you're not going to sit there all night. Right. You don't have tracking devices. Like, there's no way to yep. stick a little, like, USB under his wheel GPS, cap. And, whatever, yeah. yeah. There's none of that stuff. So knowing that, like, oh, whenever the watch breaks, that's when he left. Genius. And no one's going to check their tire area to see if someone's placed two pocket watches. Which was also nice, because whether he backed up or drove forward, you got him. So yeah. The glove compartment full of pocket watches was great. Yeah. Yeah, that. What else did he do? The tail light was really cool. Mm-hmm. The business cards, which I think I've seen in other movies before, but just a cool thing to sort yeah. of grab a bunch and play, play, play it off like you're that dude. And uh, what was one more thing? Something with Curly, I think. Cur- Curly's a VIP in this Oh, movie. Curly. What a G. Did you expect to see Curly again? No. After you saw him at the beginning? No. Glad I did. <laughs> no. That guy was great. And just the way he's like, hey, my wife, you remember? This is the guy who <laughs> showed me how to punch you in the face. <laughs> Give you that black eye. This is the guy. guy. That gave you that black eye, essentially. She's like, I know. I know who it is, Curly. <laughs> I see it every day in the mirror. I know yeah. who that is. Guy is such a heart of gold. Yeah. Let me go tell my wife. Yeah, tell yeah. her after. Yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> All right. He's the old guy from... Did you watch Sopranos? Or part of it? He's He plays like an old mobster. Yes. Yeah. The, yes. He plays the guy who's like coughing a lot and there's mm-hmm. that scene. Yeah. Yeah. Is he in Rocky as well? Yeah, I think he's one of the coaches. He's... Uh, Adrian's brother, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. he's Adrian's brother. That... What that actor's name is. What was his name in the movie? Curly. 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 Never forget. It's like seeing a famous person in the first five minutes of a Law and Order episode. Like, we'll it see is. you again. We'll see you. We know. Except the movie's so, like, long-winded is maybe a bad word, but there's yeah. so much that happens and that transpires that he's so early on. Yeah. You think he's, he's so just out of your dressing. mind. Right. Oh, wait a minute. What a pleasant surprise. What a delight. Burt Young is his name. Burt Young, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, Jay get a lot of cool ways to sort of get around and do things and just really cool investigative stuff that you can tell that he's been sort of doing this stuff for a while, for sure, which is really cool. Yeah. And I liked how they they basically show that he's successful at this as opposed to what I typically think of a noir private detective is more Bob Hoskins in Roger Rabbit of like, dude's one case, one mess up away from being homeless. And he just, he really, but he's also one big break away from clearing his name and getting himself back out there. Jake is a superstar. Yeah. yeah. He's got the liquor cabinet in the. Yeah. Oh, you, know, you have a Murphy bed in your office? Yeah. I have a liquor cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's wearing nice suits, he's got associates, he's got the secretary, he's not one light and a busted ceiling fan and doing all the work himself. No, right, and he's got two guys underneath him too, which is telling that he's just, he's at a point where he can afford a yeah. team. So I like that kind of almost reversal of expectations of, I, I would have expected a guy like this to be down on his luck. He, what, he didn't leave the force voluntarily, he got kicked off, he's a drunk. Almost like an Ace Ventura of, like, everyone mocks him and all these different things. Uh, but it was nice that he was actually successful. He had his name on the door. It wasn't, the paint wasn't peeling on it, which you'd think it would be. But no, dude's a stud. He knows what he's doing. No, he didn't, yeah, he didn't have the stereotypical weaknesses you see in some of these guys. Where I think really the only weakness you see is, like, women for him. Like, other mm-hmm. than that, I don't think he really misstepped anywhere else as far as getting to where he needed to be. He kind of had the same problem that the dude in the third man did a little bit of he just basically tells everybody what he knows all the time. And he never he didn't really keep a lot of stuff close to the chest, which was 
surprising to me as I'm watching as I'm watching this movie because as we get to him unraveling more of the plot, and I really thought this when he got to the old folks' home and put it together at the old folks' home that like, oh, okay, the old folks' home is the charity of the Albuquerque Club, which is owned by Cross, and they're using the names of people who live here to buy up land. Like once he put the whole water stealing plot together and then saw that other guy that he knew who he kicked a shit out of, and then the the guy with the knife who was Roman Polanski, which I thought was funny, all at the club and they're shooting at him. I'm thinking at this point, like, why haven't they gone to this dude's office or his home and just killed him? Like they know he what he knows, which is everything. How is he not dead? Like, how have they not gone after right. him? He's given up everything and everybody knows now. He is not safe. And yet he, like, goes to bed, brushes his teeth, like, takes a shower, puts on his pajamas and, like, lays there. And I'm like, this dude's going to get shot. Every time that phone rang, I'm like, all right, they're just checking to see if he's home. And then, bam, he's going to get two in the head. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no way he gets out of this. He's given up. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a strategy of just making sure that everyone sort of knows what he knows as far as. So when shit finally hits the fan, that it's like he wasn't the crazy one. That mm-hmm. people sort of knew narratively where things were kind of going, even if they thought he was a fucking nut. But yeah, it is, I suppose, if you want to call it a weakness, you can't really filter out what needs to be kept close and not. But Yeah, he only really gets tight-lipped right at the end. And I'm still not sure I understand his what his plan was, but it didn't work. Oh. Of, of like sending everyone to different places in the hopes that they all can coincidentally meet up there at the butler's house. And like, dude, how did you think? Why wouldn't you bring the cops with you to her house? When you have the dad coming with the evidence that he was there for the murder, why wouldn't you just have them waiting in the wings? Be like, dude, don't worry about this. Like, I got this. Watch this setup. I'm going to have this guy confess to the murder and you're all going to be hiding in the shrubs to see it. Why did you send them all over town? And, and how did they get to the butler's house? That I also don't understand. Everyone had to get back to Chinatown. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dude, heat-seeking missile. That's the bad <laughs> yeah, it is a heat-seeking missile. Yep. Well, you have, I think part of it is he's trying to keep Evelyn's secret, too. It's the, mm-hmm. you know, how do I protect this person while also getting the truth out there? Yeah. And it's not possible, which is how, you know, Cross is able to succeed. Yeah. I just felt like in the moment, I, and again, yeah. this is... No, but it does, like, stop telling everybody where you're going to be. Yeah, but also, like... All right, so you want to protect her. Send her to the butler's house. Smart move. No one knows the butler's address. Like, he's probably being painted on the table. He lives in Chinatown. Nobody cares. But why send, like, why not invite the, why take the cops in this wild goose chase to Curly's house? Other than to get Curly back in the movie, which again, applaud. Wonderful stuff. <laughs> but like, why send them on this goose chase there? Why not just be like, all right, here's the deal. This is what, this is what went down. Come to the house. And then even if the cops double cross him because they're on the take, then at least it's like, oh, shit, you know, hopefully she made it out of here and he's dead and you still get kind of a sad ending because the bad guys win. Like the bad guys still would win. You still get the same result. It just in my mind as I was watching that, I was like. They need Curly's boat to get to Mexico. Oh, true, I guess. Yeah. All right. I forgot about the boat part of it. Because they can't take the train. Can't take the train. And a plane would be worse. Plane would yeah. be worse. They'll be looking for you. Again, the movie is there's so many moving pieces that it does invite scrutiny, like you're talking about, yeah. where a little more simpler stories, more airtight, 
you can't really argue like we are a little bit now about we're not arguing but you know we're talking about like whether it's completely tied up or not at the end which is just it really isn't yeah and yeah there's a lot of weird miss not missteps but choices and motivations Mm -hmm. and how i would have done something differently but again I think it makes for a, a good yeah, narrative, I just, yeah. I just can't help but go there of being like, No, yeah, of wow, course. Come on, man. That's yeah. so convoluted. That's that's silly. How else was it supposed to work? Because right. that plan doesn't work at all if the cops don't figure out where the butler lives. Because they had no way to get there, as far as I know, based on the information they had. Unless they knew where the butler lives and were like, oh, maybe she went to the butler's house. Because I don't even know whose house they were at, where they were keeping Catherine. But yeah, Well, I think they find... They find the butler's house separate from Jake wanting them to, like, get there and find Cross and all of that, like... Yeah, but that's my point. So if they if they don't figure that out on their own, what is his plan? You know <laughs> what I mean? Know. Like, that's the only part yeah. to me that's just like, wait, what were you... What, what was your plan? Yeah. Because it was... It seemed really cool, and I liked the... I liked the moving pieces aspect for it, but if not for... The seemingly to the audience, pure luck that the cops figure out where the butler lives. So, okay, so he confronts Cross. Cross makes him take him to the daughter's house. And then he, I would assume, kills Jake and the his daughter and takes his other daughter slash granddaughter with him and leave off to go hang out at the Albuquerque Club. Like, a, I don't know where the cops would have factored <laughs> in. How do you get him? Right, right. So... I don't know, maybe the plan was he didn't think that the guy would bring backup because he didn't wouldn't think that he would need it because he's not a suspect as far as he knows. So maybe that's what he was banking on and it all went to shit. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of movie. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of movie. I did like it, though. I was yeah, going to yeah. keep going back to that <laughs> because I don't I know I just kind of like tore apart the ending a little bit, but I still enjoyed it. I still liked the movie and it right. invited the conversation at the very least, so. I just kind of wanted to get your guys' take on it. That was all. Yeah, I, I just quickly for me though, like I maybe just I don't completely still a hundred percent understand the plot. I really don't. You know what I mean? <laughs> that I got enough of it along the way to enjoy it and be like more forgiving of it. I think if I caught everything like maybe that you did, I I would be I would take it to task a little bit. But I enjoy so many other elements of noir. Again, the more aesthetically of it than the aesthetics of it like again the music in this rips it's yeah. so yeah. good it's exactly what i want it's, it's perfect mm-hmm. yeah or just like the low-end piano just like yeah uh, it's great stuff and the cars are beautiful oh, oh did incredible wood yeah. paneled everything oh that entirely wood paneled. Dude, just lacquer everywhere <laughs> you're driving through looking at two peoples oh they oh. destroyed one of them. Oh, dude, can we talk about the... The mangrove the, scene? The gr- yes, the... Oh, my God. It's probably the best scene. <laughs> oh, I love just the shot. You're, like, looking over his shoulder, driving the down. The and then the backup shot, Oh, too. The, yeah, it oranges are flying looks... everywhere. At every turn, there's a man and a horse with a shotgun. <laughs> right, right. She's just not giving up. Like, Kate turn. Mm-hmm. K-turn. The fight is ridiculous. Oh, it's great. Between the man, the regular man, and then the very slow man on crutches, who they're like, <laughs> it's like, check to see if he has a gun. And he's like, okay. And he just starts taking out his wallet, like checking his face. He's like, not take his pockets out, check for weapons. He's like, oh, okay, I'll do that, I guess. Oh, yeah. And he's getting tired, so he slaps the guy's hand away. <laughs> The, the guy keeps jump doing his little bunny hop every time he goes to swing the crutch. 
And I love Jake's line of like, if you hit me with that one more time, you're going to need two. Yeah, yeah. That's great. <laughs> He's got a lot of good lines. And I, I didn't really have a time to write, write. Well, I suppose I had the time to write them down, but I'm sure you guys wrote down a few, some like gold ones that he said. Did I get one? My favorite one was the one where he's like, this is quicker than the wind in a duck's ass. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff. That was my favorite one. There wasn't a ton of the, like, 40s, 30s vernacular that I liked about Double and No, he said, like, dame once or whatever. He's like, excuse my language. Yeah. Um, or broad. Yeah, he, said he said broad, broad yeah. I said, excuse my language. There is, this is not an, a 40s slang at all, but there's, uh, Nicholson delivers this line so great. It's one of my favorites, and I think about it frequently outside of the context of this movie. <laughs> When he is getting the phone call from Ida and she's confessing, you know, she's called him to confess that mm-hmm. I was playing Mrs. Mulray. And at first he's hesitant to pick up the phone. He's not really listening. He's paying attention to his coworkers, goofing off. And then she reveals who it is. And you see him snap from, like, relaxed, not really caring mm-hmm. to, like into detective mode and he just goes shut the fuck up like on the phone yeah i i don't know every time i say it i want to say it with that kind of verve that energy like shut the fuck up and his his associates reacted perfectly to like oh shit shit's real on the phone now dude and then her being like what was that what did you say he's like i was talking to people what you're who (laughs) (laughs) i like when he's annoying the shit out of the secretary in the beginning oh my god because he wants to talk to yeah, the, yeah. the new head of the, the water department. He's like, I could take a long lunch or something like that. I could take lunch all day. Yeah, I could take lunch all day. <laughs> yeah, he's tapping on his cigarette on the case. He's whistling. Asking redundant questions about yeah. all the shit on the walls. Oh, this cross here, he's big to the water. He owned the water department. Oh, he did, did he? Wow, when did he? How do you own the water? Before they sold it, like that lady spills the, the beans. You really got to keep the secretary either in on the scam mm-hmm. or make sure that she clams up at any right. <laughs> opportunity. Gab a minute, that lady. And I love how she got up and went back and clearly went to that dude's office and was like, this guy fucking sucks and he's not going to leave. You need to talk to him now. Yeah. Yeah, or I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. This you is... don't pay me enough for this. Yeah. This is your problem now. Yeah. And when she just stands at the door and goes, he'll see you now. <sighs> you can hear the, the eyes rolling as she says that. <laughs> But yeah, to your point, Johnny, the music's on point. Yeah. It's exactly what noir sounds like in my head. Yeah. And it was just, and even like the moments where it's supposed to be tense, like the the score kind of gives it away, but then it doesn't because it has that ominousness to it, but then it dissipates a little bit before you actually get the reveal. So it's not like it crescendos to a reveal. It kind of dissipates. My favorite part of that was when Jake goes to Sessions house after he gets the call and he gets out of the car and you get that real building ominous tone and then he walks into the house and it kind of dissipates and you're like okay something clearly is going on I know that because the music built and there's a man at the end and I think he's going to get killed because he got the phone calls and he's told everybody what he knows and figured out everything and then it's not that ominous and then you see the head of lettuce and it's like ah! <laughs> and you're like okay so clearly the head of lettuce means something and then, again, it dissipates, and then you get into, oh, there's the body, the ice cream's melted, whatever. And that's when it crescendos a little bit because you're seeing a dead body. But then it dissipates again as he's looking through, and it's still kind of low until the flashlight kicks on. You hear the voice, and that's when it swells again. And it kind of goes, that up and down undulating nature of it is just like, okay, what? 
what's going to happen? Because right. I, you expect the, the big thing to happen when it crescendos, but then it doesn't. And sometimes the big thing happens on the low part of it. And you're just like, okay, wow. You surprised me here. Right. I love it. Yeah, there's some sometimes where the score is just like sort of this sweeping mood piece where it mm-hmm. sort of is a canvas for the entire, the entire scene. And others where it's really like beat for beat. Like almost how like John Williams will score a movie where it's just meticulously, if someone falls, someone gets back up, just the lows and the highs. And, mm-hmm. But yeah, just excellent score. Jerry Goldsmith does so much good stuff. I fright. He does a lot of good stuff in the 80s and the 90s. I even think he's doing next week's as well, by the way. Spoiler alert. Oh, um, yeah. So on point the, as far as like a noir score. It's got all that good stuff going on. All these stat, like all the, the costumes, all of the the, the cars. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for a minute do you think that it's anything but 1930s LA mm-hmm. for the most part. Again, I think that one dialogue, the fuck I was like, what are we in Deadwood? Like all of a sudden, yeah. like we're using just anarchic fucking yeah. language here but um yeah just it just looked the part again it reminded me a lot of LA Confidential just mm-hmm. because it's a noir but it's like almost entirely during the day mm-hmm. so you don't really have an opportunity for a lot of shadows you get some where he's kind of going through that one house with the lettuce and some other shit but yeah it definitely looked the part for sure yeah I think he, the only other kind of dark scene was outside of the retirement home where it's night but again we're inside for most of that uh, and then when he's first tailing Hollis at the very beginning, and he's he's out super late in in the reservoir and where all those runoff areas are and everything like that. But it, I thought it was I thought it worked fine, like because I like seeing that time period and those cars. It wouldn't have been nearly as nice if we were just looking at the same black boat <laughs> of a car yeah. at nighttime every single time. And I liked how there was the white car and the black car and the all wood paneling car. And like, there was enough different vibes to it where it didn't feel like, all right, we got five of the same car. Let's position them on the set. So that way they take up every space. They did a good job of incorporating various different styles to it. All his suits were great. All the hats were great. All of them are great. But yeah, not send something like days confused or something like that, where cars just look all amazing. Yeah. Crack shot by those people in the Orange Grove, though, to hit the radiator or whatever it was right there on the, uh, on the oh, front. Oh, yeah, right, on the front, yeah. Does he, he doesn't get shot in this movie, does he? He gets no. shot at multiple times, but he's never hit. No. Yeah. The knife wound is enough. The mm. knife is... Yeah, that was probably my favorite scene, just because I did not expect it. I just thought it was an idle threat from a tough little guy, and, you know, they were going to be like, get out of here, because if they... If they fuck with him, normally in those situations you think, all right, if this guy fucks with Jake, Jake's going to stay on it because now he wants to know why they're fucking with him. Where if they just go like, get out of here, don't worry about it. He might be like, oh, all right, I don't want to deal with them. Like, you know, we got shit to, there's clearly cronies here. There's a group and I don't want to deal with them. (laughs) Right. There was something about that prop. I didn't take enough notes on it, but. The bandage. No, the the knife itself, oh. Lansky had to hold it very carefully because to make the shot look right, one edge was like an actual blade that could have actually cut Nicholson. Mm. So I think that was part of the reason that Polanski did it because he didn't trust anyone else to do it. And I think Nicholson didn't trust anyone else to do it either. Like, so it's like if a... you want this, like you have to come do it. Like if he had flicked it in the wrong way, like he could have actually yeah cut him. Because, like, normally a prop knife is one that goes in with a stab. I don't mm-hmm. think I've ever seen one that goes in half down the middle and right. slides I mean, in or sneaks in or whatever. Yeah, because typically with, like, knives and stuff like that, like, these prop knives don't have an edge whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can pick it up fairly easily. Like, if you look for it in movies, it's like, 
okay, that movie, that that knife is just so blunt and not sharp whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, That's why they usually add this little flare effect to be oh, like, this yeah. is sharp. Ding. Oh, <laughs> when did we see that last? That was so oh, good. Uh, was it Roadhouse? Maybe. Did oh, it's the boot. It's the it's the roadhouse boot. Oh, the roadhouse boot. That's where, like, right. It comes out. Uh, you hear the sink. Oh, the, the, the knife comes out of the toe of the. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what it was. <laughs> Beautiful. That's why they do that. So that way you yeah. know it's sharp. Like yeah. it wouldn't shine like that if it wasn't sharp. Right, no, it wouldn't right. make that snicked sound if it wasn't sharp. <laughs> Ding. Yeah, I like that he's kind of like, and again, not reading too much into it, and I'm sure there's not a lot really there to discuss, but as far as like the bandage and him being kind of like wounded in the beginning, like being so lost in the story, not knowing where, uh, not me personally, him, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, that he's just so down on his luck at the moment, trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and so slowly over the course of the time of the movie, the bandage slowly comes off, and, uh, and someone put stitches in at some point, we didn't see that happen, but... Yeah, yeah, I just assumed when he yeah, showed up yeah. at the bandage, he had come from the hospital. Right, right. Been like, oh, I caught myself shaving. He was trying to shave inside. <laughs> you have electric trimmers back then with the special nose guard. So it would have been more difficult. Ugh. One scene that I liked a lot, which kind of was weird looking back on it because it really had no bearing as far as I can tell, unless I just missed a character reappearing, was the fight in the barbershop. I really loved the intensity of which he was defending his profession. After the the whole scandal comes out about Hollis, it's in the newspaper. He's kind of on cloud nine because he just got paid a bunch of money for this thing. His name's out there, so he's going to get more business. And this guy kind of just like shuts it down for him being a you know stalker creep essentially. Yeah. Um, and I like that scene a lot. I was just surprised that it didn't it didn't mean anything. Like I thought maybe that guy in the barber chair was going to come back and be some bigwig somewhere. And unless he was, and I just didn't recall it, it seemed a little weird to kind of have this thing if the only reason was to set up the weird you have sex like a chinaman joke which <laughs> took way too long to tell and yeah. a terrible punchline yeah <laughs> i think it's more so to set it up that jake is coming into this feeling a little bit insecure about his place in the world mm-hmm. of like what is it that i actually do how am i actually putting my skills to work yeah he's trying to undermine his profession yeah because it's like 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 a pi whatever is typically kind of like a trashy sort of like mm-hmm. you do a lot of yeah, scummy, you bend or, a lot of yeah. rules and shit like that so mm-hmm. it was just an opportunity for some guy who's in a legitimate bit like profession to sort of tear down someone else i had the same thought as jake though when he says like oh yeah what do you do and he's like i work in mortgages at the bank i'm like you idiot yeah you kick people out of your homes man he's gonna go right yeah. for that we're there's... in the great depression right now yeah. we hate you yeah there's no way he's not gonna come for your throat right now you dumb idiot yeah <laughs> and it sort of it gives you a sense of like okay what's his what's his moral barometer in mm-hmm. a way you know he'll still goof off he'll take illicit pictures he'll spy on people but I wouldn't kick someone out of their house. You know, this yeah. is someone who does have some sort of moral code, even if it's not necessarily clear to us yeah. what it is yet. Just seemed to look, and granted that he's not above this, but it seemed weird to be insecure considering how successful he seemingly is mm-hmm. based on all the reasons that we mentioned earlier of like, dude, you, you kind of got it going for it and you're going to let old mortgage guy at the barbershop ruffle your feathers. Like, come on. Yeah. And this is someone who's driven by pride, because none yeah. of this would have continued if he hadn't gone to Evelyn and been like, no, I don't care that you're dropping the suit, because now it's my problem. Mm-hmm. Now I look like the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Who's fucking with me? I need answers. And that's what 
sends everybody off the rails. Yeah, which is good. I liked that that was that she became part of the story essentially because he was so much. I don't, I don't want you to just go away with this. Like I need, I need to know because this is my life. Which I guess is probably why the barbershop thing is there to show that all right, his feathers have been ruffled now. He needs to buckle down and figure it all out. What'd you think about his performance as far as like compared to other ones that you've seen? I mean, this is a fairly young one for him. Yeah, I mean he he's he's great. I mean the intensity, the ranges of emotion in various scenes that call for it, like the barbershop scene is really one of the ones where he gets the most animated. You don't really see him get super angry and have lines. Like obviously he gets super angry at the different fights, which is you know, it makes sense. You would be, yeah. uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't get to deliver dialogue in those moments. You know, when he's beating up the guy outside of the old folks home, he's just kicking the shit out of him. And it's great to see. And it's great how fired up he is. And he just keeps wailing away and punching that dude. And it's awesome. But he's not delivering lines the way that he was like in the barbershop. But I mean, he, the only one where it was a little weird was the, the after sex scene where he's just kind of like, said, whatever. But like he was in that weird post fucking high yeah. yeah and i'm like all right i mean i could have done without that part mostly i think because we watched double indemnity mm-hmm. last week where it's like oh the guy he fell for the the person that's clearly involved in the murderer and thing that's happened like oh, we're a, doing this has again. a dark secret yeah. yeah we're doing this again uh, i i could much rather enjoy a detective who doesn't sleep with his clients that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, just me i think it looks bad he would probably lose his not, license. Not professional. Yeah, exactly. Sure. I yeah. like my again, again, his weakness. Yeah, if we, had to, if we had to peg one. Yeah, totally get it. I mean, given the chance, he probably would have slept with Catherine if he had had long enough time. <laughs> he, you're telling me he wouldn't have? He absolutely would have. He probably would have slept with the albacore quilt lady too. <laughs> well, um, yeah, she's rich. Yeah, Doris <laughs> Dill is her last yeah. name. Master Dill or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, she's rich, of course. She was throwing a house out in Malibu, and now she owns 150,000 acres in unincorporated yeah. Los Angeles. <laughs> Those ladies were great. Yo, oh, yeah. They're yeah. so happy just to be quilting and talking to a young man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. He just made their month. Some of them might not even yeah. have a month, and he made it. <laughs> he made it. That quilt. <laughs> Speaking of the land-owning subplot, I loved the scene in the Hall of Records, if only because the record clerk is such a little dick. With yeah. his, you know, pizza face, just being like, this For is no a reason, library. Yeah. Like, man, this guy's just asking questions at the Hall of Records. Like, you're here to answer them. That's what you're here for. He's just like, I have paperwork. This isn't a library. But the rule of trick was great, too. Another thing to add to the list. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... I just, I forgot my glasses at home. Yeah, I can't cool. read. And the cough. And that's when I was like, good, that kid deserves it. He's yeah. just <laughs> fuck that kid. <laughs> now you have half a record. Yeah. Now you don't know who bought what, idiot. <laughs> I kept expecting someone to pop out of that stack of books to be like, aha, Jake, we found you, or you know something right. like that. Mm-hmm. Just give him a good scare. But I did think it was funny that he just completely shit on that kid, and that kid had no idea what was going <laughs> on. He's going to get in trouble when someone finds right. his records missing. Yeah, when he went to the obituaries and it was like one small column like four people I'm like it must have been a good day in LA if only four people died in like yeah. one fucking day <laughs> well it does it, LA's a small town as you heard oh yeah of course it's, yeah uh, it is it's, it's growing in this, in this moment it is because it's just the small city part of it and everything else is desert mm-hmm. it is interesting this movie does a good job of you know portraying it as still kind of on the frontier of 
the orange groves and the kid riding a horse in the river mm -hmm. and like yeah. there's the sunsets and the cliff scenes there's a lot of just great landscapes and landscapes like that. Yeah. i like seeing the catalina island uh building as well the the mm -hmm. round one was that the albacore club yeah mm -hmm. it's it shows up in a bunch of movies it's, yeah. it's even in the uh the video game the last of us mm -hmm. um yeah it's one of those iconic landmarks right right that, it's like the griffith observatory like when you see it correct in a movie, you know you're like okay we're in la i, I got it <laughs> which is cool i do like seeing those because it, it gives you that sense and because every time you see it it's a little different given the framing of the movie so it's nice to include those kinds of things of being like this isn't just a soundstage this is los angeles this isn't just yeah because i mean other than that we don't really get too many other things that are like buildings or anything in the movie outside of that that i think yeah and there's no it's it's a movie that's set in la it's not set in hollywood mm. there's no reference yeah. to movie making there's not like any sort of like sometimes with movies like this you get a little like wink wink nudge nudge like ah insider baseball aren't we so fun and this movie does not engage in it it really is just like yeah like this is municipalities LA shit that, as yeah. a small town this is what is going to be concerning the people who live here, who work here, as well as the yeah. the drama of Jake and Evelyn. And when do the letters Ross. go up? Hollywoodland would have been up at that point. Yeah, what about, I would have thought of, yeah. I think it goes up. Like, well, yeah, when was the Rocketeer? Because that's when they blew up land. That's Jesus Christ. <laughs> when was that? That was late 30s because of the Nazis? In late so, yeah, 30s, it would yeah. Have been, that's when they blew it up. So, yeah, I would have already been <laughs> there. But yeah, to your point, in a different movie, Cross would have sold off the water company and used that money to start his own studio, and he would have been ahead of the studio or some big shot producer, or it's somehow tied into movies, because everyone had been like, Hollywood equals movies, so if we don't put a movie thing in, no one's going to believe it's Hollywood mm -hmm. or Los Angeles, so yeah. we need to do that. So it was cool that he was just like, no, I'm just retired, and I yeah. run this club, and let the mayor practice mariachi or something. <laughs> well, Warner Brothers already has the water tower, so yeah. yeah. Well, when I was watching it, I when like we get to the backyard for like the first time and we see that little the, the water, I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. Yeah, I remember now. Mm -hmm. So when we saw like the glasses, did you think, oh, we're gonna come back to this? When he's like, what is that in the water? It's such a quick throwaway cut. Well, when. So, like, it's the second time later on in the movie where yeah. he finally gets the glasses, but early on he goes, he's, he's kind of just looking in the water and sees something reflective, and then just walks away. Oh, I didn't even catch that. Oh, really? No, at, at no point did I think that that was involved at all. You know, even in suspecting the wife a little bit, I didn't think she would have done the murdering there, even if she was the yeah. killer. I didn't think anything about drowning in the pool there, because then she's not going to be able to get that body all the way to the riverbed where he drowned. Right, away. right. Because so I think yeah, it's, I it's set up early on, I think, to make you think, oh, because we don't know about the salt water right away. No, we don't. That, oh, it's a complete possibility that maybe this looks like suspicious because, one, I mean, you missed the cut about the glasses. Mm -hmm. Oh, this might be a place where he died. Oh, it's salt water. That's not, It's it must be like a fresh water. Like, who has a salt water koi pond or whatever the fuck in yeah. the backyard such a rarity that when it finally comes back around oh the salt water kills the the glass the grass but mm. um, yeah no i i took the drowning at 
in the river yeah. at face value of like we had been to the river earlier and there were puddles like there were little areas it wouldn't be outside the realm of possibility of the hitman to just shove a dude's face into a puddle and make him drown when really you're just murdering him like it in my mind that seemed like the plausible thing of, isn't that what oh, happened in the player uh yeah pretty much wasn't there like a little puddle that he drowned him in and then yeah yeah mm-hmm. well he hit him in the head and then he fell into the puddle and drowned oh but yeah he did push it down yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah I, th- I just figured it was one of those kinds of murders of oh they found the one area of water in and around the dried up river and a a big man maybe the big man that was at the water company earlier just held his head in the one inch of water and he drowned yeah yeah so yeah, I didn't think of anything of oh it was at the house or anything gotcha. didn't yeah it didn't even cross my mind. I figured we were way too into the movie for them to give it away with something that obvious, so to speak. Where I was, I wasn't even thinking about possible things that early on in the, in the movie. Gotcha. So even if it was glaringly obvious, if there was that little shimmer or anything, I I totally missed it. Yeah. And we don't know that he's dead yet at that point. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. We don't know that he's dead yet, so that's also why I wouldn't have been thinking about it. Because he's going not, there to meet him. We're not him. looking for a body yet. Yes. Yeah. It's just an odd shot that he kind of looks at, and then he, he kind of gets interrupted and pulled away from it. So unless you saw it, you would have like, stored that in your memory bank for later on or mm. maybe forgot about it. But if you didn't see it at all, maybe it helped Yeah, a bit. And then even then, I'm, I'm thinking if I had, if I had recognized yeah. it, I don't even think that the salt water or the water or anything would have even triggered anything to be like, that can't be salt water. Because, like, of course it could. Rich people could put whatever they want in their backyard. Right. <laughs> and they got this guy taking care of it. So clearly, if it's something that needs constant maintenance, this guy's here. Who cares? Like, it could be the most expensive aquarium setup in the history of aquariums. Yeah. And this guy's going to take care of it and make sure that the grass and everything is taken care of around it. So. So, yeah, but probably better off that I didn't notice anything. Right. To at least put that kernel in the back of my mind. Yeah. Like, Wait a minute. Water. Water is involved here. Yeah, that was like, I, th- I didn't want to mention early on, but you were asking me what I know about the movie. I was like, I just want to say water. What? It just, it's, yeah. Just something with water. I was like, fuck it. That's, it's, it's pretty much the whole movie. It, it, it is. It's a lot of water. It's a lot, yeah. a lot of water. Yeah, I wouldn't have given anything away. I know I wouldn't have. <laughs> Speaking of the water, though, I loved the, when... Jake gets shot at for the first time and he like hides down in that little like ravine area and then that water sweeps him into the fence and he's just like trying to get out and everything love that so right before the nose, right right before before the nose, nose job that's yeah. a good yeah scary sequence yeah because like i know he's not water. gonna go anywhere because the fence is there but like he could drown it's not you know maybe he's not the main character of the story maybe he's another casualty and we got to figure it out, and it transitions to Escobar. Who, who knows? Anything could happen. It's true. Oh, we didn't touch on it yet, and it speaks to the whole aesthetic of the movie. I love the opening credits. Oh, oh yeah. Just do that more often. The old 30s, and I I think it's even in Letterbox. Like, it's not, or not Letterbox, but it's in 4.3. Mm-hmm. So it feels, I thought we were going to do the whole movie that way. It honestly surprised me when it cuts to the movie and it's widescreen. I went, oh. Oh yeah, shit. We're not we're not watching a '40s movie this week. Yeah, Uh, but I love just like the the typeface and the music and the the old school nature of putting everything at the beginning. Although at this point that still would have been commonplace. I don't know. It just felt so much older. Oh yeah, and of the period of the movie than it could have otherwise. But I thought that was great and a great kind of introduction to the time period and the setting. Yeah, it's like job title. 
25 dots name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love yeah. it. More Jules, dots. Big family jewels. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll just stack up the other two movies for you. Um, That's a good question. I might need to sit on it some more. Just because the ending, to me, falls a little flat. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to like kind of get removed from it a little bit to think about the movie as a whole, which again, is really good and I really enjoyed it. I still think Double Indemnity is the favorite of the three. I just don't know if this goes above or below Third Man, which I liked more the more I thought about it. I assume that may happen here where I just kind of let it go and take that element of like, this isn't how I would have done it and just look at the movie as a whole and be like, no, it is a really, really good movie, which again, it is. But in the post-immediate aftermath, that, that ending's just not sitting well with me. Yeah. So, but yeah, I definitely think Indemnity's the favorite so far, but I would probably put this second for right now. Yeah. and it, But it's close with Third Man, so that could easily change. The only thing that I think might put this lower for me right now is that... The lack of zither. Well, <laughs> no, that's giving it bonus points. Um, is just that it does, despite the setting and the some of the things going on, it almost doesn't feel like a noir in that it's a very straightforward kind of crime drama, really, where, like, if you set this in the 70s, it would probably still be just as good of a movie. It doesn't need the noir setting. It doesn't need the 30s L.A. other than to add in the water crisis or whatever. But, like, you can make a movie now where there's a water drought in California because that's just an ever-present problem. And Still it would, a noir Flint. And would kind yeah. of be the same movie. Yeah. So if we're ranking noirs, this one feels the least noir-ish because of, like you mentioned, the daytime setting, its color, which again, it's it's made a different time, of course it's going to be. But that might be if just ranking noirs for me. It would probably be a little bit lower just because this feels like this could be set in any era and the movie would be the same. Yeah, yeah. It has a like an on point score, but I don't think it has the atmosphere of the other two. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I don't know if it's because of the color, the the way it was shot with scope, or whatever. But mm-hmm. there's something that doesn't. I'm not constantly reminded that I'm watching a noir. If you say, and again, we are sort of trying to figure out, hey, what like I wish it had the trappings and the tropes, or whatever. Sometimes that could hinder it and yeah. be a little more. Kind of where, like, you know, something like we talked about Sin City, where I just wanted to hammer you over the head. That, like, yeah. it's a noir. We're trying to hit you with every single thing that uh, aesthetically belongs to a noir. But mm-hmm. again, I think as we move into next week, you'll get elements of that. And I think that you maybe have to step back a little bit and know that you're not going to get. Like the full noir experience. If you yeah. know what I mean, I'm not trying to well, yeah, say you for disappointment or anything, but it's. No, but I mean, this and is. You won't, I promise yeah. you. You're good. Well, I mean, this is one of the things where, like. Next week is juicy. I've, I've talked about in all of these pre shows having this idea of what noir is right. in my head and wanting to kind of hit those beats because that to me is the quintessential. And really, the genre has so many different things that you could pluck, you know, right. something from this movie, something from this movie, something from that movie, and put them in together into a good, cohesive quote-unquote noir-style movie. But with this one, the dialogue, as we mentioned, doesn't even feel like it's of the time. 
They're swearing modernly. They're kind of talking in a modern way. There's not that 30s era cadence to their voice. They're not using old slang or old vernacular. It doesn't quite hit those beats, which lends itself to the, this could have easily been 1968. And outside of the cars and maybe some of the clothes, I wouldn't notice a change in the movie. Yeah. I think part of it is that, that expectation of what a noir is and broadening my horizons as we watch more of these to go, okay, no, it doesn't have to check these five boxes to be a noir. It just has to check two of them and be set in the thirties. And it feels kind of the same way. Right. So. Yeah. We're Cause you're like, like, this is an homage, you know what yes. I mean? It was not made during that time period. Yeah. Um, so you don't have those, you know, limitations of productions that sort of make it inherently warming to watch i mean i don't know like just like the feelings the 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 film stock whatever Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. but yeah you're right if we're starting to get away from that where now it just needs a few elements of it to be considered i mean we could talk about blade runner where it's just you know we're so far removed from that but it still has the detective aspect of Mm -hmm. it it's still you know it's it's dark and dreary Mm -hmm. and you have you know, uh, you know, a, a fractured—not a, a fractured, but you know, someone who has an issues like the, the main character does their characteristics. But I don't know how we want to fold this into something. But it's—I uh, really enjoyed it. Mm. Yeah, I still—I love this movie. I think it doesn't have all the strong noir elements that we've kind of been talking about, but I think it's a great example of the genre evolving for the times um so like in the 70s you have to think about this movie comes out like nixon watergate there's a huge obsession with conspiracy and you know what government scandals uh, government scandals Mm -hmm. the vietnam war and so you know you have this movie that's dressed in noir clothes but is talking about like these themes that for a viewer in 1974 would have gone like of course you know we can't trust these people these things that are very dark and dingy are being done in broad daylight Mm -hmm. these deals you know it's not like it's not a bunch of mobsters it's politicians it's municipalities corporate interests that sort of thing i mean pretty much like any movie that's made in any sort of time period is typically made for the people presently watching Mm -hmm. the adults this movie wasn't made for grandma or grandpa that like grew up with like the shit we've been talking about it's not it's 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 made for people to like Oh, hey, this reminds me of something I used to watch with my dad or my grandfather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, this is cool, but I can relate to it. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. But I think it still holds up. Hmm. I think it's an interesting work, particularly a lot of the themes that are in it when you consider you know, what Roman Polanski will go on to do later and some of the events of his life, like Noah Cross's monologue at the end. Granted, Polanski didn't write this movie. But it's this sort of linchpin where he says, talking about, you know, what he's done to Evelyn and also by extension to Catherine, I don't blame myself. Most people don't know at the right place and right time what they're capable of. And then to have essentially four years later, he's a fugitive from the United States for crimes that are practically the same. Yeah, what did towns know? Yeah, it's, it's just, in some ways, it's, his condemnation is, like, in the movie mm-hmm. years before yeah. anything happens. Yeah, it is, it is interesting to watch it now, knowing what we know, mm-hmm. to see, like, oh, okay, yeah, there's, 
There's parallels there. <laughs> like, it's definitely like, hitting the nail a little too hard on the head. Yeah. Which makes the ending much more uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, because you see, like, oh, this is, the bad guy doesn't get caught. Sometimes he goes to France and people continue <laughs> to make fucking movies with him. In fact, just to circle it all back, even though it's really dark, in 1979, when he was a fugitive from the law, which he still is, by the way, um, he gave an interview to Martin Amos talking about how the trial had gotten out of control and how it was very unfair the way he was being treated. And Polanski said, if I had killed someone, it wouldn't have had so much appeal to the press. You see? But fucking, you see, and the young girls? Judges want to fuck young girls. Juries want to fuck young girls. Everyone wants to fuck young girls. Yikes. Wow. What a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how people have felt like who grew up watching maybe some of the Polanski movies and the sort of shit happened. How maybe they tried to remove themselves from the situation to enjoy some of the stuff or go back to it. Because I, I – and yeah. again, I don't want to get too far off, but something like – for us, at least for me, was like Kevin Spacey. Mm-hmm. I cannot yeah. watch Kevin Spacey, particularly a movie that I absolutely adored growing up with and loving was American Beauty, like, mm-hmm. like I, a lot of elements of that, the reason why I got into filmmaking, I love that movie, but I cannot, I have not been able to watch that movie since all that shit came out about him. Mm-hmm. Particularly, the content of the movie is creepy as fuck. Yeah, but yeah. it's very much like this. It's exactly. you're like, ooh, this is way too close to what actually happened, and that's so devastating and awful, and here it is presented as entertainment, and like, 1977 wasn't when he started doing it. I don't, yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Right. I don't know, but uh, like... It couldn't have been. Yeah. So it's one of those things of like, again, it's what did town know? Or what did Polanski put in in the meetings of here's how we're going to change things? What if the villain, what if the girl was maybe in the original script, she was 25 when it happened? What if she was 15? Right. You know, it's just just an extra layer of Mm heebie-jeebies. And some of it is, you know, like this is really dark, but it's, I think, as much as we would like to not think about it, a 15-year-old is much more likely to be a victim mm-hmm. oftentimes than someone who's 25. Not that it's not possible, but mm-hmm. someone yeah. who's one of those people is better positioned to be harmed, mm-hmm. you know. But this is going in a somewhat dark place, but it's just, for me, as someone who finds Roman Polanski, his actions to be reprehensible, I find this to be a movie that i can't let go of and i don't know what that says about me again i think it's the parallels in it make it so that way it's almost kind of like a true crime a little bit because it has it feels yeah there is an ickiness vindication yeah so it's like when you watch a documentary about a true crime where like you're watching someone reenact a thing that happened and was horrible to a human being and here you're watching that again wrapped up as part of this detective story but you can't help but draw those lines mm-hmm. those very clear short straight lines from <laughs> yeah from yeah, fake to real and it it almost you falls can into that with that ruler that he rips yeah the book with yeah it's small yeah it's smaller than the records binder so i can i can understand the element of like i still like it and i still want to watch it because it does kind of almost have that you know, murder documentary feel mm-hmm. to it, even though it's entirely yeah. fictional. But yeah, and I think the problem is, I'm like, even if it, that element wasn't there, I would still really love this movie. Yeah, yeah. and the difference here hard. too is that 
Spacey's a main character. Yeah, main again. Yeah. yeah, so exactly. And, That's true. And Polanski's just the knife guy. Yeah. Just the <laughs> right. And again, I've been able to watch like other Kevin Spacey movies where he's the third character. Yeah, like, we watched where, Seven. Where, where, seven yeah. where he's the villain or whatever, but like in a movie where he's the protagonist, something you have to like root for, it's like, that's why I've never been able to watch America because I cannot root for because I just see Kevin Spacey's face. Yeah. Yeah. So, fine as a villain. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, if like Rowan Polanski was like the protagonist in this. Yeah. Well, yeah, we probably wouldn't have watched it. Yeah, yeah exactly. We probably wouldn't have watched it. Would have, we have other noirs on the list. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's interesting nonetheless, but yeah. yeah. But it's just, I don't know. I find myself drawn to this movie again and again. Yeah, I mean, taking out the real world implications of it, it's still a really good movie. So it, you know, it's always going to be that conversation in popular culture of anything is like, at what point do you draw the line with the real person and their art that they put out? And that's not a conversation we'd be able to have or handle because because we're also so far removed from it. You know, yeah. we don't know any of these people. We just see what we're told. And so, you know, some people can and some people can't. And it depends person to person and project to project whether or not you can divorce yourself of the person. And, you know, I don't fault anybody for still enjoying a thing just because of the person mm-hmm. who made it you found out later was bad because they have so many elements in your own life that you love or enjoy. Like if you still watched American beauty because it made you want to be a filmmaker. Okay. I yeah. Don't, I couldn't possibly fault you for right, that. Right. It's tied to your life. So, you know, I no hard feelings, Bridget. <laughs> You're not going to be made to feel bad here yeah. uh, because but it is a good movie. Yeah. It's a good movie, but I also get why some people would be like, Meh. Oh yeah. Besides for sure. it, like, completely and i just i can't bring myself to do it despite the fact that i think he's a despicable person hmm. well <laughs> yeah, just, there's no transition out of that no. but uh does anybody Insert else some horns yeah. yeah does anybody else have anything that they want to talk about the movie or any other final thoughts any favorite scenes we didn't get to or you guys want to hear a lighthearted behind the scenes story yes maybe it's not so lighthearted, but i think it's funny so, as we all know, Jack Nicholson is a huge fan of the, the Los Lakers. Angeles the Lakers. Lakers. And so, he was, even at this time, a huge fan. And he apparently had a portable TV set that he brought with him around on set so he could keep up with the games. And he was getting distracted and not paying attention. He was running late. He wasn't knowing his lines. And Polanski got pissed, and he smashed his TV. <gasps> Wow, what an His evil LA human Lakers, being. Yeah. <laughs> what an evil human His being. LA Lakers TV. But I just I like to imagine the two of them, because Polanski's not a large man, as we can see in that shot, like yeah. tussling over a tiny portable 1970s television that is playing a Los Angeles Lakers basketball game. My thing is... Well, Faye mo- Dunaway like, smokes a cigarette in the background. Most <laughs> of this movie takes place during the daytime. Where were the Lakers playing during all of this? Or are these just the nighttime scenes he was worried about? Maybe. Because even a, a home like game... during rehearsal or something. Maybe, yeah. Because even if they were on the East Coast playing a team, that's 4 o'clock. Yeah. So I guess maybe if they're in East Coast games, he had to keep up. Do you think that whole scene of them walking away, he kind of had the TV out looking at it? <laughs> <laughs> no, but when he slinks down in Curly's car, he's looking at it. Oh, yeah, there it is right there. <laughs> when he's staring off... keep driving, just... the Lakers are up by 12. <laughs> yeah, when he's staring off into space at the end, he's actually looking at the TV. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's why he looks really far out. Any like shot where he's looking eyes. through binoculars, there's actually a tiny TV inside yeah. oh, yeah, right just there, watching yeah. the game. No, that was that was a good 
funny anecdote. Right. So I'll leave you with that. Fair enough. Uh, all right. Well, then that'll do it for this week's episode of Fine, I'll Watch It. Remember, you can find every episode of Fine, I'll Watch It every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, and Spotify. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. So let us know what you think of the film Chinatown. Are you able to uh, separate the real from the fiction? What do you think of Jack Nicholson's performance? What are some of your other favorite Jack movies? Let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. Uh, do you guys want to leave a tease for what we got next week beyond just the teases we've already left, the little kernels we've put into this episode? Tell them. I don't even know how to... I don't know if I want to give it away. This this week we had water, next week we'll have ice. <laughs> yes! Okay. Perfect. I have no idea what that means because I haven't seen it, but there's your tease. Uh, if you figure it out, let us know on Facebook and Twitter at Broken Clock Pods. But once again, for fine, I'll watch it. My name is Adam. I'm Bridget. And I'm Johnny. And thanks so much for listening. Thank you.